Welcome back, friends, to another episode of ELN's inaugural podcast limited series. I'm Melissa Lai. And I'm Mary Mawad. In this limited series, we're focusing on leaders of tomorrow. What can they learn today? We're, we're tackling big questions with no simple answers, and many of us are dying for answers. And part of this process and podcast is to unpack some of that. What makes a great leader? What qualities should we expect? What are some examples of strong leadership that we want to aspire towards? And many more questions. Our guests today will share the lessons learned and barriers that they have personally faced as we explore the many different dimensions of leadership. And as you can imagine, it's not a one-size-fits-all. As we always say that civic action and ELN, great leaders build great cities, and we need them both as the issues cities face become increasingly complex and interconnected. So I'd like to invite you to join us and tune in for these rich insights via these candidates' conversations. First of all, a quick disclaimer. This episode was recorded during the summer of 2021, and the information shared was set within that specific time frame. Any views or opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts, i.e. me, Alyssa, and Miriam, and the guests only, and they do not represent the organizations that the individuals come from. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be an accountable and empathetic leader. And we've got some pretty exciting guests um, that we have today, don't you think, Miriam? I'm, I'm really excited because our guests represent an important, I would say, sector within public sector as a whole, the healthcare space. Um, particularly during the pandemic and COVID itself, I think these guests have been at the front line. If, if there were any front line um, leaders, I would say these guests were completely at the front line of it. So I, I like it was a great conversation. I had a great time listening to both of them. I did say, and you guys will hear in the episode, I think they both should start a podcast of their own. <laughs> I think they both should write a book um, or, or do something together, whatever it is. I, it was just such a great conversation. Here, here. Well, our guest for today um, is Dr. Eileen Devilla. She's no stranger to many of you who have heard pandemic updates um, from the City of Toronto. She's the Medical Officer of Health for the City, and she leads Toronto Public Health, which is Canada's largest local public health agency. And they provide a range of public health programs and services to 2.9 million residents. Imagine the scale of it. Um, before joining Toronto Public Health, Dr. Devilla served as the Medical Officer of Health for the region of Peel, serving just as sizable of a city, 1.4 million residents. I can't get over the amount of people. Like we we say the numbers, but yeah. like these like this is this is like it's the a scale big, of it. The scale of it exactly, it's particularly during the pandemic, like being able to reassure and provide updates that make sense to people. Mm-hmm. on an unknown um, situation, I mean, that takes a lot of effort. I, I don't know if I'd be able to be in those shoes ever. I hear you. Well, Dr. Devilla has a long list of accolades, including, you know, receiving her degrees and doctors of medicine and master of health um, in the, from the University of Toronto. And she also holds an MBA from the Schulich School of Business. But what I would say I most admire and know about Dr. Devilla is how instrumental she is in leading Toronto's response to the current pandemic. Yep, I agree. Mm-hmm. 
And our second guest, Jennifer Burnett, is the current Women College Hospital Foundation CEO and president. And the funny story behind it is that Jennifer and I used to know each other when we were colleagues at another healthcare foundation. So it was it was awesome to to reconnect right. with her in a new role. And what I can say about Jennifer, having known her as a former colleague, is that she's a highly accomplished fundraising executive. But not only that, she really leads from the heart and also from, from the hate in equal manner. Um, prior to joining to the, found, the foundation, she was at the McMaster Children's Hospital Foundation um, as part of Hamilton Health Sciences Foundation, which also included responsibility for the women and newborn programs. She has been recognized for her leadership and expertise by various organizations. Um, one of the most recent ones is the WXN Top 100 Canada's Most Powerful Women. And that in itself is, is quite an accomplishment. And we're so thrilled to have both of them here with us today. Let's get to it. Before we begin our episode, I'd like to share an acknowledgement of the land I'm currently situated in. I'm currently recording this from the city of Hamilton, which is situated upon the traditional territories of Erie, Neutral, Kurang Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississaugas. As I think about where I'm currently on, I think, I think about the fact that this land is covered by the dish with one spoon wampum belt covenant, which is an agreement between the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe to share and care for the resources around the Great Lakes. This agreement is particularly important and so symbolic because of the spirit of friendship and also the acknowledgement that we are eating out of the single dish that is all of us and it signifies the sharing of territory. And I find that the spirit and this intent of the one pun about covenant and the district one spoon, it's such an, an awesome way to contextualize how we're having this conversation today. And we are on a roll. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Eileen Devilla and Jennifer Burnett for joining us today um, for an episode to talk about leadership. And what of particular focus that I want to think through today is the topic of empathy. And I know when we talk about empathy, there's, you know, the notion that it's a lovey-dovey, touchy-feely kind of thing. But as you and I know, it's more than just that. And there's as a heart to do empathy. Um, a little bit of some context to set the stage here. A recent poll by the Canadian Center, Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH, found that 50% of Canadians um, reported worsening mental health since the pandemic began, with um, many feeling worried. 44% of them actually said that, and 41% said that they feel really anxious. And today we're going to be talking through the various principles and approaches to um, building leaders and also what empathy means to them. I'm going to start it off with um, talking to empathy when it comes to a human and human leadership level on a team um, element of it. I'm going to pass it to Miriam to ask the first question. Thanks, Alyssa. Um, so I completely echo everything that Alyssa just mentioned in terms of empathy and how, you know, it sometimes has the relationship or the correlation with being, you know, kind and nice and maybe not as strong and, and, and some of the, the adjectives that we would associate with strong leadership, which is unfortunate because I think some, in my opinion, some of the best leaders 
um, have really honed in on what empathy means um, and have used it to their advantages as um, an accelerator to how they approach um, their leadership. Um, I, I'm going to throw the question to, to both guests, Jennifer and, and Dr. Davila. Um, what, what, how would you describe an empathetic leader? And if, if you describe the empathetic leader, can you think of three qualities that fit into that description? Sure. Uh, I'll yeah. start, or Dr. Develle, do you want to start? You can go ahead. No, yeah, Jennifer, go ahead. Uh, you know, I think we, I have a feeling that our, uh, our thoughts are going to line up having heard some of your uh, thinking before. Yeah, well, I would say that the empathetic leader um, really, uh, first of all, leadership is um, a term that has a lot of different meanings for different people. But I would say, first of all, as the leader yourself, um, you look at leadership from a, um, an empathetic lens when you put your staff needs at the top of the pyramid. Um, because as a leader, you, you are, you know, I tell, tell my team this all the time, you're nothing without your team. One person cannot uh, execute on a strategic plan. One person cannot create a, a plan that uh, moves an organization. So a leader knows that you often don't have to lead from the top. You can often lead from behind. And I think an empathetic leader is one that understands that um, their job is to bring the organization into balance, uh, both uh, on an organizational level, but on an individual level. So they look at the organizational needs, but they also look at the individual needs of the people who make up that organization. And they never lose sight that they have to find the balance between those two. So as a leader, you have to uh, make sure your organization is successful. You have to make sure your organization is growing, meeting its targets. But how do you also do that for your people? And those things do not have to be in conflict. And I believe that the empathetic leader understands that the healthier your people are, the stronger your organization is. And um, a lot of people perhaps who don't lead with empathy think that the harder you work, the more structured your organization is, the more you push, the bigger your targets, that's where you get your strength from, but you get your strength from wellness. That's, uh, you know, to my mind as a, as a public health physician, that's music to my ears. That's exactly, I think, uh, it's not just about organizations. I, and in fact, I, I would say that it's about communities writ large, right? It's exactly that kind of thinking that we need to infuse. And it's at the organizational level. It, uh, I, I think the way I would um, um, cast this, exactly what Jennifer said, is that, you know, at the end of the day, organizational success is achieved through people. So fundamentally, um, people need to feel that they are valued and that their, um, their perspectives are valued and that their efforts are valued. So it comes down to my mind, uh, a great deal around relationship and recognizing that the very human components, the stuff that we talk about, like empathy, which are characterized often as soft skills, these are the hardest things that we have out there. Actually managing successful human relationships is one of the greatest challenges that's in front of us on, an, on a daily basis. It, it's what makes us, I think, uh, fulfilled in our personal lives. And it is fundamental to our success in leading organizations, creating that balance between organizational purpose and recognizing that there is a relational component 
uh, between people in the context of an organization that actually is, is crucial towards success in fulfilling organizational purpose. And, I, and, I th and to build on that, that's why you don't call it managing, you call it leading. You manage work, you manage productivity, you manage technology, you manage activity, you lead people. And you can teach people how to manage um, and you can manage without empathy, but you cannot lead without empathy. And it's also much more difficult and time consuming uh, to be an empathetic leader. It takes time to slow down, to learn about your people, to look for the weaknesses, to be vulnerable yourself as a leader, because you have to be vulnerable, transparent, speak to your own failures, your own shortcomings, uh, be a good mentor, an example of not being perfect in order to be an empathetic leader, to be seen as a real human being and to see your staff as real human, human beings. So to be empathetic is, is inherently to be vulnerable. And that's something that they, that I would say as I ascended to leadership, isn't something that is as celebrated as the command and control type of leader who finds a way to get the results. It's much more challenging. And so that is why it is something that has been sort of categorized as a soft skill. It is actually the hardest skill. So here's something interesting. We are facing such a, a difficult and unique time, COVID, um, this, this global pandemic, and both of yourselves are in the healthcare setting which I think empathy is of the utmost importance. We're dealing with, with people, humans. Um, I want to understand, did your definition of what it means to be an accountable and empathetic leader change as a result of you know, the current crisis that we're in, this global pandemic? And of course, being in the healthcare space, I imagine it would, it would change drastically um, being faced with, with this new and unique challenge that we've never faced, faced with before. Yeah, you know, if I could start on that one, I, I would say this, the fundamentals don't change, how they manifest changes, right? And because I think it is very situational dependent. I, I would say this, understanding and appreciating that we are all going through, um, you know, a very difficult time, recognizing that the pandemic had impact, absolutely, for those of us who worked in public health or in healthcare, there were clear professional impacts of COVID-19, but fundamentally it was an experience that was much broader than that. It was yes, in our professional worlds, but it was also having direct impact on our personal lives as well. And recognizing and appreciating that we were bringing, um, that our, our, our staff, our colleagues, um, were, were experiencing it in this very multi-dimensional way was I, I think fundamental to being an empathetic leader in this circumstance in this time. And the challenge was to make sure, you know, in the, in the world of medical practice, empathy means understanding what's happening, but not getting, you know, it, it's this very delicate balance. You need to understand the experience of others, but also maintain a certain amount of um, objectivity at the same time, right? It's an understanding and an appreciation without getting caught um, deeply in it. Because again, if, if you're feeling the experience you know, too much, if I can use that term, no, it can true. be paralyzing as well. So exactly. right, it is getting the right level of understanding, appreciating the experience of others, 
and using that as the, as the uh, platform or the springboard, if you will, to help inform action, to help inform uh, where you need to go and how you advance, what is the purpose of the organization? What are we trying to achieve here? And how do I use um, it in the best way, um, the information that I'm able to gather because I, I'm able to understand and appreciate the experience of others, whether they're my colleagues, whether they're my clients, how do I use that to best advance the goals? Oh, that was wonderful. I would say for me, um, because I'm in a frontline organization that was serving the public at the same time as trying to manage, change manage for my team, we were very much on the front lines. So we were impacted as the foundation, both by what we were seeing our frontline staff go through, but what we were going through ourselves. And I, what I would say is that what COVID and the crisis really taught me was we had, it was like a flashpoint, every single thing happening at once. It exposed every weakness that we had. Um, it exposed it from a healthcare um, uh, centered area, but also from an equity area. And I would say on the work front, what it exposed was that there's privilege um, across society. In healthcare, we saw where people who um, didn't have access to proper healthcare and even the vaccine and proper information fell through the cracks. But we also saw the inequities in the workforce where caregivers, for the first time, people really saw the burden of caregiving, whether it was because you were caregiving for your children or people in your home. We saw inequities in you know, where people live, what resources they have in their home. For the first time, we were invited into people's homes and we saw in living color, where people live, what chair they sat in, were people sitting in their kitchen, were they in their basement, were they in a cluttered room, did they have privacy, did they have bandwidth, you know, we saw that, you know, home wasn't safe for everyone, you know, we make this assumption that everyone was safe at home, or everyone had the things they needed at home, and those inequities were paid out very rapidly in real time, and as leaders, we had to have a much higher emotional IQ than I would say uh, pre-pandemic. And we had to be observant and listen for what we weren't seeing on screen because we didn't have that, that physical piece where people were in the office together and you could sort of take your, your, your cues from them being around you. Once people got off screen, you didn't know what was happening to them. So if you were only on screen with people for an hour a day, what was happening? This is true, this is very true. And so those inequities and that lack of feedback, you had to become a different leader in that time. You had to solve for the introverts differently. You had mm -hmm. to solve for the people who didn't speak up but were in trouble or in pain. You had to solve for productivity. And what were you gonna count? What were you gonna measure? And what were the really important outcomes? And what could you let go of because it wasn't important anymore? So all of that happened in such a short condensed period of time that's what really pushed the, 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 um, the dial on what does empathetic leadership look like? And it really meant for me um, giving up some preconceived notions. You know, for me, it was, you know, we went home and we never came back. Um, it was giving people certainty and making them feel safe. And how are you gonna do that? And it's very different in this um, sort of online world than it is even in person. So really honing in on that emotional IQ and listening as a leader became absolutely essential. 
you both touched on a few nuances there that I, that I want to build on. What, in your view, is the difference between empathy versus sympathy? And what's the danger in the latter if it goes too far from the extreme? Well, I'll let Dr. DeVille, but for me, it's I cannot solve for each individual person um, and respond only to their needs. That's being sympathetic to somebody's situation. You actually have to, what we usually do and what we do at our hospital and what I usually do is I solve for the most complex person on my team, just like my hospital solves for the most vulnerable person in society. And if I can solve for the most complex situation, I can usually solve for everyone. And, but I don't solve for a person. I am solving for the situation. So I solved for caregivers. I didn't solve for parents. So not trying to bring it down to the individual experience. And that's one of the the things you have to be careful as a leader. You can't be responsible completely for people's happiness and all of their outcomes. What you can put in place is a system that responds to the needs of the vast majority of people. You will never be able to respond to every need of every individual, but you are trying to respond to the overall needs of a group of people with similar circumstances. So as I said, I didn't solve for people who only had children because I have people who don't have children, but I have people who take care of their parents. I have people who take care of their neighbor. It wasn't because you were not related to somebody that you weren't caring for them. And there were people that also just needed to take care of themselves. So I solved for caregivers. What was my solution for people who cared for others? And so that's the way I looked at it, as opposed to sympathy would be like, oh my goodness, you have four children. I feel so bad for you. I'm going to solve for you. Right. And and I think, uh, you know, from a public health perspective, because we're constantly working at that population level approach. We, can, we really don't have very many opportunities to get into that individual level. And frankly, we, we, we just can't do it. Uh, so uh, I agree with Jennifer, uh, thinking about um, how do you express that you're understanding that at a population level. And oftentimes that's through the kinds of communications mechanisms that we have available to us. So actually demonstrating and using examples when we're trying to speak you know, here in the case of Toronto, it's 3 million residents. How do I express, you know, when we're briefing you about what is happening with COVID, that yes, this is for everyone. And there's a piece in this for everybody, actually using examples um, and varying your examples and the kinds of communications uh, examples that we use was one method, I think, by which we can try to show uh, empathy for others. Um, you're right, Jennifer talks about we can't specifically address every circumstance, but how do we show even just an openness to we're ready to listen to every circumstance imaginable, and we're going to we're going to support you through this. You know, when I think about the numbers of, of, of COVID-19 cases, the unique circumstances around each and every one, imagine a, a city of 3 million people with a very uh, cosmopolitan population moving all over the world with lots of different experiences and lots of different risk, we'll never be able to address each and every one of those needs individually. 
The question is, can we create that spirit of openness and a willingness to listen, demonstrating a real concern and care for that which is happening? Um, I, I think that's fundamentally what we tried to do. The challenge, of course, is doing this and trying to create some environment of certainty and some environment of clarity when you were dealing with a completely novel virus that had only exactly. been discovered in January of 2020. We didn't really know all the answers. So um, again, it goes back to that humility and really uh, recognizing and being very honest about what do we know? What are we still uncertain about? What, what are we therefore proposing at this point in time? And um, supporting people and um, making sure that people were ready uh, that the advice might change because the circumstances change and we change along with it. Uh, I think that was a significant component of, of uh, being an empathetic leader and being an empathetic organization, particularly in public service during this type of crisis. I mean, I, I do want to stress on the facts, just in case if it wasn't stressed earlier on, the magnitude of the teams and the organizations both of you have been a part of. I mean, Dr. Davila, three million people in the city of Toronto and, and Jennifer were talking about the Women's College Hospital Foundation. I mean, that's a massive frontline organization and system. Um, I mean, these these institutions, these organizations, there's there's such a, a level of... of um, and I think you touched on it quite well, Jennifer, the, the emotional intelligence that's required to make these decisions to, you know, prioritize or be able to identify where you can lean in and, and what solutions that you can lean into mostly. Um, on, on the other side of that, you know, young professionals, when the pandemic happened, a lot of them faced, you know, the unknown of, you know, what's going to happen with my career, recent grads, kids in schools, like, there's a level of, um, anxiety that that breeds, I think, with, with quite a few young professionals and young students. Um, and, and I think coming out of it, I think a lot of us have had maybe transformational thoughts, different ways of thinking. We've, we've adapted, we've developed new habits, we've identified new hobbies, but I'd really like to get your perspectives as to how to hone in on that emotional intelligence. How do you, when you're faced with something difficult, something unknown for yourselves, whether it's per, like personal or, or professional um, setting, what are the what are the what are the lessons? What are the the tips? What are the the strategies that you've used to alleviate some of some of the stresses of the unknown? Um, particularly, and and like I'll stress it again, you're leading teams, so so folks that they themselves are also unsure and, and afraid or anxious about the future. How how are you able to then kind of channel your experience and, and your expertise and wisdom into into guiding them through that unknown? Well, I'll say for me, um, I have two young people I have, uh, that I'm raising. So I have a, a almost 18 year old and a 23 year old. So they would be people coming into the workforce. And one of the things that I think that young people are trying to do that's very difficult, it doesn't matter where you are, is, is map out this perfect journey. And you cannot do that. And I think the pandemic really taught us that. And being willing, and I hate to say it, to pivot and try something different and take risks are, are even more important now. And as you know, I've talked about working with Alyssa. And one of the things that I loved about her when even I worked at 
uh, at Hamilton Health Science with her is that she was always looking at other opportunities and sort of always willing to throw herself into something um, that was unknown. And young people have to be willing to jump into the deep end, not knowing where they're swimming to, because the journey is the learning. And this is what is so important. If you attach yourself to organizations where you have similar values, where you feel supported and cultivate, and you cultivate great network, networks and colleagues, that part of the journey, whether it's short or long, will change you and inform you for the future. And you should be looking for imperfect experiences because it is the imperfect experiences that you learn the most from. And you will push yourself you will learn, okay, this is not what I want to do. I started here, but I've tried it now and I don't want to do that. And I think that 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 willingness to open yourself up and be vulnerable and say, I don't know everything. You don't have to enter a job knowing 80% of the job. You probably enter a job knowing almost nothing and be on that journey of learning is so important. And even as leaders, we should always be learning. I love listening to Jennifer. Right? <laughs> It's so good. But I am just loving listening to Jennifer because I think this is just great. She is full of wisdom. And these are all, I think, incredible ideas that young people should absolutely, actually, uh, people of all ages, I think, would benefit (laughs) from, right? I don't think that that's exclusive. I mean, to your point, Jennifer, um, you shouldn't stop learning, right? Um, And it's not even just about, I mean, absolutely, if you're at the point where you say that you're not learning anymore, you should absolutely step down as a leader. But, you know, I would say that you're, you're kind of missing out on the whole point of life if you're not learning anymore. That's the, you know, I mean, I think this is the essence of of what makes for um, fulfillment, I think, ultimately, is that that we are constantly um, works in progress. Uh, in all aspects of our lives. It's not just about the professional realm. It is very much about the the personal realm as well. Uh, So, you know, Jennifer raised a lot of really great points there, whether it was around, you know, looking at it as a journey, uh, recognizing that there isn't a path. There are many paths and they can all lead to uh, personal and professional fulfillment. How you you know, take those paths and what you do with the opportunities and how you grab opportunities and create opportunities by simply being open, I think is one of the, and willing to take those risks. So how do we create environments that actually promote people to take risks, right? I think that's one of our key tasks as organizational leaders is to create opportunities, certainly within the organization, Um, And and to then foster that same spirit so that people within the organization take that outside into their own lives. I think this is where it all can feed back very nicely. This is how the personal and the professional realms can start to really intertwine in a very um, meaningful way. I think so. The other point I would just add to the many great points that Jennifer added is, you know, to actually really savor the moments that you're in. We're often so busy, you know, being achievement focused and, you know, what's that goal? I've got to get to this. I I too am am the mother of of three young people, uh, 16, 18, and almost 20. And it's, you know, what's the next thing? And how is this going to help me advance, you know, towards that goal? 
um, you know, Jennifer's right. The real learning comes from those things that are perhaps not what we wanted them to be or didn't turn out exactly the way we thought they would. Uh, and how do you really, um, you know, be very um, present in the moment so that you're fully engaged in that learning? Um, I think that's one of the challenges that exists for us and should be a work in development at all times as individuals, both in our professional lives and in our personal lives. There's a lot to, to be said from um, really appreciating the value of learning from the things that didn't go exactly the way we thought they would. Um, and it, that does take, uh, it, it takes a little bit of time to appreciate just how valuable it is. I think we have to allow ourselves to feel the, the pain of not having things go quite the way we want them to, the time to reflect on that and to process it, recognizing that you don't necessarily appreciate the lesson right then and there. It does take that time to reflect, to process, and um, you know, to really uh, experience the full benefit of the lessons learned. I do feel that we are coming full circle here when it talks about empathy, because we earlier we talked about being able to be vulnerable when you're empathetic and to learn, you need to be vulnerable and accept the fact that you don't know anything, a lot of things you don't know and taking the risks around there. Yeah. I also wonder from your perspective, you know, you as leaders know the importance of this and you're leading huge teams to help get them towards this journey. How do you be empathetic to yourself as, as leaders? What a great question. Yeah, that is a great yeah. question. Well, I think for me personally, because we had to change everything we did overnight is to tell my team quite honestly and trans first of all, it's to be transparent that you don't know everything and that you are also on a journey of learning and that you will get things wrong but you will acknowledge that and try to make them better. So I think, um, you know, being a human in front of your team is so important and not pretending that you have every answer and everything will go according to some master plan. I think that's so important. The other thing is, you know, leadership is about leading. At some point, you do have to make people feel confident that you have a path that you are following that is thoughtful and meaningful and that they can see themselves in but you are there on the front line with them and you are you have had a thought, you've come to this path thoughtfully. So people want to feel that, you know, you're not just making it up as you go. Um, I think it's so important as a leader to demonstrate that you've taken into account many different factors in coming to your decision. And again, being transparent about how uh, you've come to that decision understanding that you will never please everyone. And I think that that's what's so important. I think transparency as a leadership leader and communication are key in terms of leading well and people understanding your own thought process. Because I think where you get stuck is when people don't understand the why. Why was this decision made? Where did it come from? What factors did you consider, you know, it doesn't work for me. Do you understand that it doesn't work for me? But when you can explain why, I, I find that it just solves so many problems and being transparent and honest. 
I don't know, folks here, we're having a serious mind meld. I was thinking the exact same thing, right? I was thinking about we're so over-focused on the what, especially in, in the realm of the health sector, whether it's public health or health care, uh, we do focus a great deal on the what and perhaps not enough on the why. I was thinking the exact same thing as yeah. you said it. Um, and it's certainly something that we experienced over the course of the pandemic, especially because the what was not always so clear. We had to be really clear, or at least try to get as clear as we could around why are we recommending certain courses of action. Um, you know, and then over time, as the science was developing, you know, we could get uh, better and better around um, the what. Uh, I do think that as leaders, it is important to talk to others who are in similar positions. Um, that it's, uh, they often say that the leadership position is, can be a lonely one, um, but uh, I think it's, it's um, part of being empathetic for oneself is making sure that you are recognizing the humanity. You are recognizing that we are works in progress ourselves. And having the opportunity to have a you know, trusted um, set of colleagues, a trusted set of friends, people who can actually uh, really um, listen and help you process that which needs to be thought through. I think that becomes very, very important, but really it does come down to um, having the opportunity to, to reflect on what you've done and I can tell you that from our perspective uh, as Toronto Public Health over the course of the pandemic, uh, one of the key factors for me has been absolutely speaking to a very strong network of colleagues within the organization, friends and colleagues outside, and, and certainly relying on, on family members as well who have been my fundamental network of support, been so, so crucial throughout the course of the pandemic. But then on an intellectual level, if I can call it that, Asking myself regularly, you know, what is the goal that we're aiming for? And are we using the evidence, the data, the information we have available to us right now in the best way possible to actually achieve those objectives? Uh, you know, it, it, and yes, the information will change, but we can't judge ourselves you know, with the retrospectoscope, we have to think about what we're doing based on the information we have right now. What are we able to, you know, what, what makes the most sense? And then to have the humility to change course as information and new information comes in um, and to explain then to everybody, and to those around you, why we think the, the course of action needs to change in keeping with new information and new evidence. Absolutely. You know, so basically, I'm just waiting, um, Dr. Davila and Jennifer, for your joint book to be published whenever that happens. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to writing it already. Right? Know, right? uh, I'm just waiting for this book to come out. If it wasn't an idea before, I'm I actually, an idea so now. Please. I'm actually uh, in the process of uh, think, uh, 
putting some stuff down because a couple of people have asked me to, to write. I'm going to, it's just going to be an ebook though. That's why it's not, not a normal idea. Somebody has already asked that, Jennifer. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> This is the sign. This is your sign from the universe. I'm waiting on the joint book to be published. <laughs> I want this conversation to go on. I just, this is, this is so good. I, I re I'm really looking forward to the book guys. I'm being very serious. Um, <laughs> and I love this intergenerational exchange that we're having here and learning from one another and getting different insights. So thank you very much for that. Before we wrap up, it wouldn't be a podcast without a rapid fire round. Okay. 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 I've got three questions for Jennifer get... and okay. three questions for Dr. Devilla. Okay. Uh, first to you, Jennifer, your first question. Number of keys in your keychain? Eight. Oh, that's very, wow. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Probably eight. I got my mom's house. See, I'm a caregiver. I got my mom's house, my mother-in-law's house, like my house. <laughs> I got the hospital key. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Your next question, Jennifer, favorite superhero. <gasps> favorite superhero, favorite and most powerful. So difficult. Favorite superhero would probably be Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. <laughs> if I were going to be a superhero, I would be Superwoman or Superman because you can't get all their power from the sun. It's indestructible. I love Superman. Well, Jennifer, if a movie was made of your life, who would play you? <gasps> who would play me? Oh, want Maya Angelou to play me? <laughs> not alive anymore. I would. Yeah, I, mean, I think I, Jennifer could play herself, right? In a, right? Like there is a, why feel yeah. restricted? Why have somebody else yeah, do well, you? Who else can do you better than you? Dr. David, no, Jennifer, you were want, a model. Yeah, I would want Maya Angelou because she was... Um, she was a writer and a poet and an activist, and she was very female-centered. She was a mother, so I, I really, I really, I mean, I obviously huge fan and admire her. And um, I would be, it would be the greatest honor of my life if you know she was alive to to, to tell my story. Uh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. In in poetry format, I feel like she could do it in poetry yeah, format. In prose. That's right. In prose. And you know she was a musician. Yeah. And she was just like everything. So if I had the 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 great honor of somebody alive or dead to play me, it would definitely be Maria Angelou. She was ex extraordinary to me. Excellent choice. Alrighty. Well, Dr. Devilla, on to you. First question, morning person or night person? Uh, can I be both? I'm a 24 hour a day kind of person. Honestly, I'm a, a night owl and I don't sleep yeah. in. So I'm, I'm actually kind of both. Nice. Fueled by coffee, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, next question. What is your kryptonite? Ooh. Honestly, chips and dip. <laughs> we what are kind chip of nation. <laughs> what kind of chips? What kind of dip? Actually, it is just straight up plain chips, preferably, you know, ruffled and French onion dip all the way. No question. <laughs> None, no question, not at all. No question asked. Awesome. <laughs> well, this may be a fun one. What is your favorite summer activity? My favorite summer activity is actually going out to dinner with my family. Simple and sweet. 
and so heartwarming. And, and I guess on that note, um, I hope we, we all, all our families were all able to, to have those wonderful moments again at restaurants and patios, um, hopefully very soon. I hope we all get to meet in person as well. I would love to. Oh, yeah. That would be great. In person as that well. That would be great. That's I see amazing. a patio in our future. Definitely. Yes, I do too. <laughs> I think patio about... season is going to go right into October. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, it absolutely will. We're hardy. We're hardy. Oh, yeah. Enjoy all go all the, the way seasons. into the winter all indoors. The I, I, yeah. I think they should just keep them over. A little heater on the side. We're Canadian. No problem. Right? Exactly. A exactly. And a tube and off we go. <laughs> we'll make do. That we'll we'll find a way to make do. We'll make do. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Davila, Jennifer. This was, I mean, such a, such a wonderful amazing first start to our podcast. Um, we, we've, like I said, I'm waiting on the book. I really, I really do hope that that becomes a reality. I'm going to throw it out there. Well, there you have it. Dr. Eileen Devilla and Jennifer Burnett. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to rate us and leave a review. We love friends and friends alike. You can also email your feedback at info at civicaction.ca. Well, we'll catch you at the next episode. This is Alyssa and Miriam signing out. <laughs>